matter simply because of the busyness of, of the activities we sometimes have our kids in. Uh, the breakdown of, and this is the language they use, uh, the breakdown of ritualistic transgenerational gatherings. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> yeah, family dinner in church, right? Uh, transgenerational gatherings, gatherings where we're in one place with a spread of generations all together. Um, the, the Sunday family dinner, the after church dinner, all of that kind of uh, being, all of that kind of space where uh, we're together and the kids are running around and milling about and the grandparents are sitting in a chair in the corner. That's what I remember uh, a lot of my childhood was like a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. It was into my grandfather's place, Grandpa George's place, say, and he'd be sort of on the couch in his corner chair. There'd be a football game on and we kids would be on the couch and running around and chasing stuff in the backyard and whatever. There was just that sense of togetherness and that just doesn't happen as much anymore. And people don't come out. People come out to events that are sort of demographically oriented but don't necessarily come out to things uh, that are transgenerational. And then th fourthly, uh, a decline in shared learning and shared intellectual content. Uh, and those things have historically sort of uh, caused discussion and engagement. We don't read the newspaper together anymore or read news sources or we don't sit around the TV uh, sometimes after supper and watch the news or we don't uh, do a Bible study or a family devotional together anymore. All of these sort of, uh, sort of structural things that used to cause us to have conversation and discussion, uh, shared learning together, those things are broken down. So we see all of those things breaking down, break down. We still have the family units. We still still have all of uh, those gatherings, but there's, there's a way in which we, we might be together, but we're still uh, disconnected. Here's a quote from uh, uh, one of the, uh, the writers of the study. It says this, as members of a social species, we drive strength not from our rugged individualism, but from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence over independence. And so what he's saying is that what we're designed to do as human beings, as social, social creatures, is that we're actually designed to thrive in relationship. We're actually designed uh, to be uh, creative together. We're designed uh, to make things happen uh, together. We're designed to be near uh, one another. And, uh, and this is another quote from the same study, the key uh, to achieving adulthood, and this is now talking about teens, the key to achieving adulthood is not to become autonomous and solitary. So when we talk to our kids, I, I say to my, my, my kids, I say, hey, you've got to learn to do this on your own, like we're not going to be with you forever. Right? You're going to have to make your own bed. You're going to have to do your own laundry. You're going to have to do all this stuff. Right? We're just, that we, we sort of assume that there's going to be a breakdown, a shift when our kids go out of our family and get on their own. And I'm saying that's basically a good thing. Like I'm pretty sure I don't want Jack and Toby living with me well into their 30s. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound like exactly what we want to do. But at the same time, uh, there's, uh, there's a way in which we prepare our kids for autonomy, but don't prepare them for connectedness as well as we might. Uh, so uh, the key to achieving adulthood is not to become autonomous and solitary, it's to become one on whom others can depend. That's very different, right? Because we sort of have this really high value on freedom, this really high value on independence, this really high value on problem solving, all of this kind of stuff. You need to exist, you against the world out there on your own. But what you really want to do to really achieve personhood, really achieve adulthood, is to become a person upon whom others can rely, people that uh, can be connected to, that can be valued, that can be useful in community. And whether we know it, our brain and biology have shaped us to favor this outcome. We're more successfully human when we're together. 
Uh, we're designed for that. Uh, we're designed to be together. In a sense, we're, we're pack animals. So what happens to us when we get lonely? What happens to us when we get separated? What happens to us when we get uh, isolated from community? Uh, that's something that's very similar to what happens in the animal world. We're, we're, uh, we're creatures uh, to some degree in terms of what we are. Uh, when we feel pushed to the social perimeter, feelings of loneliness, isolation, disconnection, cause a physiological response, right? And the same is true, uh, say, with a wolf or a deer or something or a herd animal that is injured and sort of pushed out of its pack or pushed out of its group. Those animals have uh, responses and they have mechanisms that, that cause them to be and behave in a certain way. And the same is true of humans. If, you, if, you, if we look at animals, if we look at humans, uh, what happens when you get pushed out of your pack, when you get pushed out of your social group, when you get pushed out of your community is some things begin to happen to you. One, uh, you become emotionally numb and you begin to medicate. And what that is, is that uh, as, as animals, just like animals uh, in the wild, when you get pushed out of your pack, there's something that happens uh, in you where you, uh, you, you begin to need to medicate, you begin to need to take stuff into yourself. What they're trying to do is you're trying to put on weight so you can survive all by yourself. How many of you have ever experienced that? Right? You, you, you experience a, a something in you that wants to sort of pack it on. Uh, you have a decrease in empathy. That means that you're preparing yourself to fight. You begin to prepare yourself uh, for battle. You're, you're not as connected emotionally uh, with the world around you. Um, you become uh, defensive and aggressive in your posturing. How many of you have experienced loss or grief or been pushed out of community or experienced conflict and your response has been that sort of defensive isolation kind of thing, right? That's a pretty normal part of our, our existence, our being. And, and just another, just a small example is difficulty sleeping, right? Because you come to be on a state of high alert. You're, something in your physiology is like, if I sleep, something's going to attack me in my sleep. Right, and our thoughts and our anxieties and our fears and all that kind of stuff surface and they, they cause anxiety and they, they, they cause us sleep. And so, but this isn't just happening when we're alone now. This isn't just happening to us as humans uh, when a spouse dies or, or when uh, we move to another country or when we're isolated by some practical circumstance. These defense mechanisms are beginning to happen to us now uh, when we're in our families and in our homes because of a perceived isolation that we're experiencing, because we've cut ourselves off from community in so many ways. Uh, we're not getting out uh, to church. We're not discussing things with family. We're not uh, living in a way that is, is integrated. So what I want us to do is just rip pause right here in the middle of the sermon and just take a second to just reflect and just take a second, second to pray and think about these sort of mechanisms that are operating, this sort of defensive posture we have when we feel like we're outside of community, uh, the sense of isolation, the sense of a need to medicate, all of these sort of things. And just take a second and let's just bow our heads, close our eyes right in the middle of the sermon here, and just reflect to what degree uh, am I experiencing a sense of disconnection and how is that affecting my life? And we'll go on from there, but let's just allow the Lord to speak into this moment. Father, we, uh, we want to give space for you. We want to give space for your Holy Spirit to work among us. Um, we've all experienced all kinds of hurts and brokenness and uh, pain and disconnection that comes from uh, societal forces that we, we wrestle with, habits that we've picked up, 
uh, the way we use devices, all of that stuff, Lord. And uh, I just ask that you would help us in this moment to become conscious of, of how we feel that and what that uh, is doing in our lives so that you can begin to speak to us and call us to something healthier. Speak, Lord. Pray for everyone in the space who is uh, aware of moments and degrees and sense of isolation and disconnectedness and brokenness uh, in that, in our relationships, Father, that you would just begin, uh, as we go through the rest of this talk, to just pour out your spirit and heal and restore and, and do some work in our hearts, Father. I call us to you as, as one who meets our needs, who cares for us. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Cool. So the question that comes uh, out of all of that is this. How does our need for connection and belonging, how, how is that need met in Jesus, right? How, does, uh, how do we look to the scriptures? How do we look to Jesus and who he is uh, to begin to, to help us with this, um, to begin to work in it? Um, uh, you know, it's really clear. Uh, Jesus has provided connection and belonging through a couple of things, right? Through, one, our vertical relationship with him. Like, we, we see him as the comforter. We see him as, as this Holy Spirit. We're able to have an intimate relationship with him. That's what salvation is about. Uh, we're able to enter into the presence of God. Um, but secondly... Um, through his body, through his church, right? Uh, Jesus exists not only as a spiritual being seated on the throne of God, uh, moving uh, and speaking through his spirit, but he lives through his body, through the body of Christ, right? So we're intended to have this vertical and this horizontal uh, relationship. And of course, we tend to see our relationship with Christ as, uh, as, as sort of the, the, that sort of vertical, that sort of spiritual piece is that sort of primary thing. And, and in some cases, we even allow that to be uh, the medication that sort of heals and uh, the, the wound of the brokenness in our horizontal relationships and we sort of tend at times to just go completely vertical when we're in moments of pain or moments of disconnection we think Jesus I need you I, I need this relationship with you and it's amazing and it's beautiful and the comforter comes alongside and he helps us but at the same time there's something about that horizontal component in relationships that's absolutely a connection with Jesus himself as well Right? That horizontal piece is important. What we're really meant to live in is something uh, more like this. We're meant to live in this sense that Jesus is empowering other members of the body, other members of the church, other humans around you that he's redeeming and calling to himself. And that we can't get by just with the vertical relationship with Jesus. We need Jesus as he's expressing himself through the lives of other humans. Right? We, if we reject the body of Christ, we reject connection with it, and we reject connection... Um, with other Christians and other believers and we isolate ourselves, we're actually rejecting Jesus himself because he lives in them, right? And even, even, among, even among the poor, even among those who uh, we wouldn't necessarily say are, are believers, we have this incredible verse in the scriptures where Jesus says, you know, if you give a cup of water, uh, even to the least of these, you've done this for me. 
So Jesus lives and, and exists through humans. So we're required to have this human horizontal connection operating as well if we want to have the fullness of what Jesus has for us. And so there's a temptation for us, though, theologically, to end up in this place. Uh, I just use the word Gnostic there. That's not really an important word other than t- that it's a, a word that's used to describe um, an essential heresy that keeps repeating itself in the life of the church, which is to say that everything vertical, everything spiritual, everything that's happening uh, in your relationship personally between you and God, that spiritual part of your being is good. And everything physical is something that's irrelevant or or not good. That ultimately you're just going to be saved out of this body, leave it all behind, and what happens here on earth didn't really matter, and it's just your relationship with God and that secret space of living with Him that's important, right? Um, But that really uh, speaks to an ancient heresy that's been in the church for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years uh, that causes us to fail to recognize the existence and the living out of Jesus through His body, through His community. We're meant to connect uh, with the, the whole picture. I was having a conversation with a, with a young man the other day who was like, man, I really, really get that Jesus saves me. I really get that he, he, he wants to deal with my sin and he wants to uh, set me free and, and that my identity is rooted and anchored in Jesus and who he is. How can Paul say this crazy thing in the scriptures uh, to a, a young man that's, uh, that's, that's struggling with lust? It's better for you to marry than to burn. Right? You know that text? Right? If you're struggling with, a, with, a, with an inability to, to, remain, to maintain sexual purity as a single person, it's better for you to get married. So what is Paul doing when he's saying that, that we ought to somehow find a solution to a sin problem that we have in a human relationship? That doesn't sound like God at all. It's just about me and Jesus. And the reality is it isn't just about you and Jesus in the vertical. It's about you and Jesus in your spouse and you and Jesus in your parents and you and Jesus in your family and you and Jesus all around. That part of the provision that God has for us as human beings uh, is to be found in one another. And so if we reject everything physical and temporal and everything relational on this horizontal level, we are rejecting Jesus. And ultimately, uh, what Gnosticism is, is it's an idolatry. Right? It's a self-worship. I am purely self-sufficient in my own ability to mediate my relationship with God and I don't need any other humans and it elevates us and our ability to relate to God into a a completely sort of isolated place. And so what I want to do is just show us this in the scriptures. I'm talking fast now because this is a lot of content. I think the time is ticking, but we're doing okay. Slow down, stomach. <laughs> There's uh, something that Jesus has for us in, in this. And I just want to show it to you in the scriptures, just so you know it's not just me uh, talking like a crazy person here. One, uh, just some thoughts. Jesus heals through his body. Now, let's look at the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? And I'll talk about that Greek word in a second. Uh, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, I don't know what your experience is with a healing ministry. I've seen some amazing things. I've literally seen, you know, blind eyes open. I've seen limbs grow. I've gotten to see crazy stuff in times of renewal and revival. Uh, and I'm not seeing nearly as much as I would like. Like, my stories are way too old. Probably the last sort of story I have of somebody who, like, was really authentically experienced a physical healing was probably six months ago. Um, but uh, but what, uh, what, what I have not heard, and maybe this is purely anecdotal, 
anecdotal, and maybe you can speak uh, to this uh, based on your own stories, but do you know any stories of people who have just experienced sovereign healing without any humans praying for them at all or being involved in that process at all? Almost never. Prayer happens when we engage, when we engage, and healing happens when we engage, when we call people, when we gather people. Uh, that word, is any among you sick, though, doesn't just speak to physical sickness. That word there in the Greek is a much broader word, asthenia, which means uh, a sickness of the heart or body. So it's a sickness of, uh, uh, and when, when speaking of the heart, it's speaking of that moral place. Is any, are any of you sick morally? Are any of you sick in the body? Like, what, what brokenness is there in you? Well, the solution is, yeah, go to Jesus, pray, talk to him about it, but go call a human. Get some Jesus with skin on. Right? And that's where we've seen so many amazing things happen. Uh, I remember when I was, uh, I was probably 22, 23 years old, we were going down to a conference in Toronto. We planned to go down there and connect. It was for renewal meetings at the airport church. I later became uh, on staff uh, at that church. Crazy story to tell you another time what that journey was like. But I remember being uh, thinking, man, I just don't want to go. I just want to stay home. I'm tired. And I was kind of sick. Any of you like sort of been like kind of sick? <laughs> like just kind of sick enough that you can use it as an excuse not to do something you feel like you're supposed to do? Any of you ever experienced that? Right? Right? Real deal, right? Um, so that's where I was at. And I was, uh, I was at Ken Hall's place and I was down in the basement and I was like trying to decide whether I was going to go with the guys or whether I was going to bail and drive home. And uh, I went upstairs and I was laying my story on about being kind of sick. And Ken Hall was there, and, uh, and Bob, and it um, wasn't Chuck, I forget who it was, uh, but the elders of that community were there in the living room. They just finished up their eldership meeting. And, uh, and I was laying my story on, and they were like, oh, well, we'll pray for you. We're the elders. We've got the elders team right here. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, dang, <laughs> right? Like, dang. <laughs> And, and I don't think I've ever felt anything quite like this before. And I've experienced, uh, you know, like little touches of healing, nothing really dramatic. This was just sort of a, a sort of a fake half fever, not feeling quite right kind of deal. But when these guys prayed for me and they went to the kitchen and got some olive oil or something like that, when these three elders prayed for me, it's like I literally felt like this wall of God's power, like literally blast through my body and knock the sickness out. Like, like I, that's, that's all I can describe it as, is like there's a sense of the authority of these gathered men of God who prayed for me, and it's like it knocked literally the crap out of me. <laughs> it knocked the sickness right out of me. It, it, it was an incredible thing. And then I still tried to sort of fake sick, but it totally didn't work. And I ended up going to the stupid conference, right? But I think that's, I mean, I think that's what's meant to be our experience. Uh, as, as believers, right? When we're wrestling with stuff and we're wrestling with pain and we're wrestling with uh, parts of our journey that are just ugly and awful, that we're meant to call the body of Christ together. And we don't do a necessarily a good job of, of, of facilitating this as a body. There's so much for us to learn in that. But, but we're meant to allow the body of Christ to come and, and affect change in our lives. We can't do and be all that we're supposed to be by ourselves. We need what's inside uh, the body. So that's uh, James chapter 5. And just going on, and this one is, is even crazier. Like, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, wait a second. I thought this sin, dealing with sin deal, was just between me and God and what he did on the cross. What does what anybody else thinks about that have to do with my forgiveness of sin? Like, what does any human component have to do with any of that? But if you look at John uh, chapter 20, verse 23, you hear Jesus saying crazy things. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them their sins, they will not be forgiven. And this is coming from our Savior who died on the cross for us. And I don't actually know how this works because I, I have an absolute belief and trust that uh, Jesus is fully submis- su- sufficient for my salvation. Like from a theological perspective, uh, that's what I understand salvation and forgiveness comes from. But what I think maybe John and, and James are talking about here is that we need uh, that expression of forgiveness sometimes coming through human mouths in order for us to live in it and experience it and feel it and know that it's real. So let me tell you another story. I'm going to tell a story of a, of a guy that I went to college with. Um, this is uh, my first year in, in Bible school, and we were sort of roommates, and we've been through the whole uh, semester together, and I knew this person fairly well, and he knew me fairly well, and we had sort of a, a fairly good friendship, and, and I thought he was a good, strong, righteous Bible school student, and he thought I was a good, strong, righteous Bible school student, which I clearly was, uh, but he wasn't, um, and <laughs> totally kidding. Um, um, but, but he sort of pulled me aside near the end of the semester, and, and he, he sat me down and said, I have something to tell you. And I could see by that look in his eyes like, like that he had something to tell me. And I pulled up my chair, and, uh, and he was sitting on the edge of his bed, and I remember pulling my chair away from my desk and sitting down across from him. And, and he began to pour out a story of his sexual brokenness and the pain that he'd wrestled with since a child, since some things that had happened in his life. And he began to, to pour out his own acting out in those things and his own acting out in, in broken sexuality in a way that was very willful and intentional, that he was completely complicit in. And he basically came to the place of sharing with me. He just felt, you know, he's a Christian kid. He understood Christian theology. He'd been in the same classes I'd been at, still saved in the same way I was saved, Uh, understanding the blood of Jesus in the same way I understand the work of the blood of Jesus. And he said, I, no matter what I think, no matter what I know, I just feel so dirty. I just feel so guilty. I just feel so broken, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to move out, I, I can't be the roommate anymore, I just, we just can't be friends anymore, like, I just, he was just, he was just, it was him telling me this, he had to say it, he cracked, it all came out of him, and for him, in his mind, what it meant to him was that there would be utter and total and complete rejection, and I would turn my face from him, and I would not be able to see him and relate to him anymore. And by the grace of God, I was able to scooch my chair in a little co- closer and wrap my arms around his shoulders and say and just whisper the words as a believer in Jesus, I am proclaiming and declaring to you that you are forgiven, that you are washed, that you have been set free. And he was. 
Now, he was before I said those words because of what Jesus did, but he needed a human to say them. He needed to look into the eyes of a human and to see that love of Jesus poured out for him, to know that he could be accepted and loved and cared for and embraced and forgiven by Jesus. That's something I think that we're meant to do for one another. Uh, that, that phrase, confess your sins, not just in your prayer closet to God, but confess your sins to each other. And that's hard, but time and time and time again, I've seen that moment when somebody has walked through the pain of carrying secret sin and actually being able to open their mouths and utters the, utter the truth of what they've been experiencing and see incredible light and freedom come into that person's life simply because it's in the open, the words have been spoken, the light is shining on it, and they can be set free from pain and shame and guilt instantly just by the opening of our mouths to one another. The to one another is part of the salvation story for us. The human component is important. Uh, Hebrews 3.12, Jesus protects us through his body. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. Deception, uh, the falling away that can happen, uh, the brokenness that can happen as we take on board ideas that are poisonous, um, take on uh, ideologies that are, that are against the way of Jesus. Being in community and being in relationship with people protects us from that. Uh, having a broad sense of what we believe theologically, what we believe uh, in terms of our statements of belief, carrying in our hearts things like uh, the great confessions of the faith, like the, uh, the great uh, uh, amazing sort of uh, doctrines of the faith that are, that, are, that are essential to us, and having our belief system and our discussions and our thought lives all being out in public and happening and in discussion provides enormous safety for us. But so much darkness grows when we get into our little corner <laughs> and we're not living uh, together in our thought lives. Um, exhort one another day, every day. Encourage one another every day so that you would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have to be in community. Uh, we're incomplete without his body. Romans 12, verse 48. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So the members do not have all the same function. You have something that I don't have, that I need. Amber's got something, I don't know what it is, but she might have one or two things that, that, that I don't need. James has a couple of things. I, I don't have, I don't have what, what James, we, James and I sort of work together on the staff team and we know his Enneagram number, so he's just completely like right off, but. Um, <laughs> you know, there's gifts, there's, a, there's abilities, there's talents, there's beautiful things that each of you have, and, and, and I need them. 
and, and we need them. They're things that are meant to be shared. We don't all have the same function. Now, I really, really wish I could put myself in a cloning machine or put you in some sort of a machine where all of the meanness could get into you and then you'd all be just like me. I think that would be fantastic to have a whole bunch of little me's running around. We would never argue or have this guy, uh, you know, poor discussion. That would be so, you know, that'd be terrible, right? Would be terrible? That'd be the worst. That'd be the worst. We need each other. We need all these different personalities, right? Uh, uh, we can't function separately from his body. I love this phrase, individually members of one another. And I love this because what Paul is doing is he's, eva- he's, he's valuing the diversity of who we are, our individual nature, our, our individual gifts, our individual abilities, uh, the stuff that's in us. And he's also saying that that piece of you is a part of somebody else, and that piece of somebody else is a part of you. You're individually members of the same thing. Right? He goes in Corinthians, he talks about, you know, an arm can't do without the other arm, without the foot, without the armpit, without the whatever it is. Who's the armpit of Christ? Enneagram 8, for sure. Armpit of Christ, right here. Um, right? Individual members of one another, right? Like, we're meant to be connected. We have gifts that differ. And then, not only is it great to have the gift and celebrate them, but those gifts have to be used, don't they? Anybody just feel used? You should. We're supposed to be used, right? We're supposed to be of value to one another. There's incredible value in you incredible value in you that's meant to be shared. And we don't know how to do this as a church. We're just learning. as part of what we're trying to learn through home churches. But there are gifts and talents and abilities in you. There's, there's an incredible wealth in this place that we've only begun to tap into. The beautiful stuff that Jesus has put into you. But our individuality, as much as we treasure it and we, we guard it and our autonomy and we don't want it to be connected and impacted by others, we want it to be protected and isolated, it doesn't actually exist and it's not actually beautiful unless we understand it in terms of how it relates to the whole body. Uh, John Piper said this, he says, our true individuality is found, discovered, experienced in relationship to the body of Christ. My individuality, my individual identity as God has created me to be cannot be known except in serving you as I rely upon Christ. And yours cannot be known except in serving others in reliance on Christ. That's what hands and feet and eyes and ears do. They serve. That's why we have the gifts. And the reality is that isn't that we uh, we don't know that we need the body of Christ. Like this case that I've made for us today, this kind of makes sense. And in a way, you could just tune it all out. It's like, oh, hum, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we need other people, right? But the reality is, is that for various reasons, we constantly deprive ourselves and deprive one another of access to it, right? We deprive ourselves of access to the body of Christ. We choose other things all of the time. And we withhold the beauty that's in us from the body of Christ for various reasons. Right? There's brokenness in us that causes us to uh, be separated from one another. Um, uh, when I posted uh, that I was going to be doing this sermon on, uh, on social media, somebody posted this little verse for us. I don't know if any of you saw it. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be a glory. 
to live below with saints we know? Well, that's another story. <laughs> right? We love this vertical thing that we have with Jesus, right? Like it's amazing and intimate and beautiful. But we're actually really pretty scared of one another. We're actually pretty resistant to a high degree of accountability and connectedness with one another. Uh, obviously, part of what we're trying to do at OVV is to create uh, spaces where this kind of connection can happen, right? We're trying to create spaces where relationship can work, where we can go a little bit deeper. What we do here on Sunday mornings, right, it's beautiful. The coffee time that we have is amazing. I see the buzz. I see the conversation, the connection. But it's just not enough. It's just not enough. There's, there's more. All of this needs to be worked out in an intentional community. So, so I just want us to take a second again of reflection and just sort of ask ourselves the question, what are those barriers that keep you from crossing the threshold into deeper relationships with the body of Christ? And now, there are lots of us who are involved in, in so many levels of the life of the church, right? We're busy doing all kinds of things and volunteering for this. But, but even for us who are busy in the life of the church and connecting, right, there's a way in which we can be disconnected too, right? We can be not connected in intimacy. We can be not connected in, in relationships that are meaningful and, and, and going to actually be transformative in our lives. So I'm not just talking and saying, hey, if you don't go to home church, come to home church. I'm saying there's, there's, there's a way in which we're called into something more, and there's barriers that we wrestle with as we try to figure that out. Uh, in a lot of the cases, just busyness and weariness and distraction, right? Like, we just have a lot on the go. We have our lives very, very programmed and very, very busy. Uh, we live in a culture now where it's almost impossible to survive financially unless there's two couples uh, in your church or in your family that are working, unless you want to significantly uh, struggle or give up significant areas of standard of living or, or all kinds of different things. To live on one income as a family is very, very difficult, so we're, we're very, very busy. Uh, we're very, very busy with the constant digital inputs into our lives. Right, this screen thing that we have going on in spades, this dip, 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 thumbs going all the time. Right, there's a sense of disconnection that comes from that. And sometimes we, we have a hard time going from that sense of sort of false connectedness that we sort of get from this. And there's a little bit of information connect, we a little bit of knowing what's going on in other people's lives as we scroll through social media. But that deep interpersonal connection that actually heals and transforms us Sometimes we like the comfort of our own chair and our iPhone or inferior Android device. And, uh, um, and we prefer that to like getting out of our house and getting in the car and showing up and sitting in somebody's living room because it feels safer for us. We, we wrestle with so many fears, right? We fear rejection. We fear betrayal. We fear that we're going to be judged if people know who we really are. We fear speaking in front of one another. That's one of the greatest fears that keeps people out of home churches. If they have that sharing time and I have to tell something about myself or talk, like I just don't know if I can do that in front of people. Right? We struggle with those fears. Again, that's tied to a fear of rejection. Uh, we fear people's weird cooking and you fear your own weird cooking being judged by people. Right? Like, like the whole food thing is something to think about. And there's just a whole pile of other things 
that cause us to just not want to go into those intentional areas of Christian community. Sometimes we've had bad experiences. Sometimes we've had hurts. Sometimes we've had, like I've led small groups that have been total dud. Anna's been there. My wife has been there. Like, honey, you, that was so boring. That was so boring. Like, I just wish you'd shut up and let the other people talk. She's much more respectful from that, but I can see her. I know her so well. I know that's what she's thinking. Like, I just know. You know, like, shut up and let the other humans speak. Like, give, give us a break. You're blathering. Or you're monologuing again. Like, shut up. Right? Um, so, so there's, you know, there's been bad groups. There's been groups where there's been uh, that person who talks the whole time and never lets anybody talk. There've been groups where it's just weird and socially awkward and like nobody has enough. Somebody should have done an icebreaker or something, but how many of us just hate icebreakers, right? Like we need an icebreaker, but we hate icebreakers. Like my worst nightmare as a kid is charades. My aunt leading us to play charades. It's the worst. I'm like, I don't know how to do... Like, like, what are we talking about here? Like, how do I do fountain? Like, like, charades is ridiculous. I hate it, right? But we need those kinds of uh, mechanisms and those kinds of things to begin to make relationship work, to make those things happen so that we can be intimate enough and we can begin to share our journey. All I want to say, like, for, for, for today is that these things are worth overcoming, all of these fears, all of this anxiety, all of this stuff that we wrestle with, you know, from this uh, perceived uh, social disconnection, it's worth overcoming them uh, for the value of the incredible, incredible riches that we find in the body of Christ. It's just worth pushing through the awkward and weird to get the good stuff. And it is worth pushing through it so that you can share your good stuff. We need each other. We've got to push through it. We've got to grow. We've got to figure out how to do intentional community together. Um, so we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk in two weeks a little bit more about some of our, how do we overcome our fears in community. And we're going to pray a little bit into sort of healing some of our wounds around that. But next week we're going to talk, next week is Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to actually talk a little bit more about what, it, what the gifts are like and how they're meant to operate in community and, and, and the strength of the incredible wealth of the Holy Spirit flowing through the community and the good stuff that we're supposed to receive that way. I just want to leave us with this thought, though, from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Just let us consider. Just, just think about it. Just in your own life, in your own meditation, as you spend this week, as you're driving into work, listen to a podcast about it, uh, whatever it is. But just consider for a while, how could you stimulate another and be stimulated onto love and good deeds and not forsaking assembling together, but encouraging one another? Make space for this. Make time for this. Uh, consider for a moment what it might look like uh, to just go deeper in community because there's incredible treasure there. Let's stand. Lord, to one degree or another, we, uh, we all wrestle with a sense of disconnection. We all wrestle with a sense of, man, there's just something that we need that we don't have. And we have you. We have this incredible salvation uh, that comes. We have this incredible relationship with you, Father. But we're missing something uh, when we're not connected to your body. 
we don't know how to do that. We don't know how it works. We don't know as a church really how to facilitate that well. But God, I just say as a pastor, as, as one of the leaders in this church, we just want you to guide us. We want to learn how to do this better. Would you take us on a journey together into doing transformative relationships that really cause us to grow and thrive as people? And just speak to all of the barriers that we struggle with, past hurts, uh, fears, uh, the, the sense of social disconnection we, we experience that along with our society that needs to be overcome. All of that stuff, Lord, we just lay that before you and ask that you would uh, cause us to uh, seek after the treasure that's to be found in your body. Give us great courage in this, Father. Give us great courage. Let your life be poured out in this community in a radical way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.